chapter number 20 tonight. Book of John chapter number 20. So thankful to be back in God's house again. I said something. I think it was Monday night. How wonderful it is to be in church on a Monday night. How wonderful it is to be in church on a Thursday night. Amen. That don't happen that often either. And so, so thankful that you are here. Now this, it is Thursday, right? Yeah, okay, all right. Sometimes you get your days mixed up like that. Uh, it's Thursday. And uh, John chapter number 20. And, uh, and want to give you something that the Lord gave me here a while back. If you're able to stand for the reading of the Word of God, I invite you to do that out of reverence and attention unto His Word. And John chapter number 20, look at verse number 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulcher, so they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lying. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher and saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. Obviously from this passage of scripture we have the account of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for the resurrection. We sang the song last night, The Rock of Ages, or a couple of nights ago, The Rock of Ages came out of the tomb alive. And so with that in mind, I don't want this to throw you off guard, but I want to preach on this subject tonight when the empty tomb isn't enough. You said, oh, wait a minute, preacher. <laughs> Ah, uh, you're going to preach heresy to us tonight. No, 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 no. If By the time we get done with the message, I think you'll agree with me, all right? Ah, you say, Jesus came out of the tomb alive after he died on the cross. You're saying that's not enough. Oh, no, it's enough. Hallelujah. That finished work was done. Amen. He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I believe that 100%. But you'll see what I mean by the time we get done with the message tonight when the empty tomb just isn't enough let's pray heavenly father we ask you dear lord god that you would take control right now lord god you know how weak this flesh is you know how weak my mind is and lord god without your touch this is going to be nothing that will have any eternal value whatsoever so god i ask you like isaiah of old that said, I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And I need, Lord, a touch of the coals from off the altar to be put to these lips. God, that I may be able to preach the word with the power of God. I pray you'd not only help me, 
but you'd help the hearers tonight too as well. Holy Ghost of God, we are not scared of you. We need you. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. I want us to notice in this passage of Scripture some things about the empty tomb to remind us of some things that we already know but will help us in our spiritual life. First of all, in this passage of Scripture, I want you to see the demands of the empty tomb. Because the tomb is empty, because Jesus came out alive, there's some demands that that places on my life and life as a child of God. Let's look at the first one. Look at verse number 3. It says, Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the Savior. Now, let me help you out in this passage of Scripture. If you don't know already, verse number 3, that other disciple... That is talking about the writer of this book, that is John the Apostle. So anytime that you see the disciple whom Jesus loved or the other disciple, you will find out really quickly that that is John in this passage of Scripture. So Mary Magdalene comes and tells Peter and John that the stone is rolled away. She was going there to be able to bring spices things along that line and she comes back and says he's not there he's gone and I want you to notice what happens when they find out that the tomb is empty number one the demand it places on us is it sprang them into immediate action notice in verse number three as soon as they found out the tomb was empty immediately went to the tomb they didn't have a committee meeting about it they didn't call the deacon together they didn't take a vote they said we're going to the empty tomb we're going to where something happened and may I say child of God that because the tomb is empty it should spring up into immediate action the Bible says in first Peter chapter number one verse number three blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath gotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I don't have a dead hope. I have a lively hope. I have a hope that will keep me alive and put me active to be able to do something for the cause of Christ. It should spring us into immediate action for the lost because they need to hear that the tomb is empty. Amen. We talked about that the other night, that we need to pray for those that are lost without God. And because the tomb is empty, we need to go tell people that the tomb is empty and about Jesus. It should also spring us into immediate action to live a holy life. We need to heed to the things that are found in the Word of God. The preacher was talking about the Bible just a little while ago. Hey, this Bible here is not just for us just to have something to read to pass the time. Oh no, it's our guidebook for our life. Amen. This is how we're supposed to live as children of God. And we need to be into immediate action to live a holy life acceptable unto God. We need to heed to the scriptures. And then number three, it should spring us into immediate action to last until the end. Oh yes, we need to endure hardness as a good soldier. I don't want to just fall across the finish line. I want to run across the finish line. Amen. I believe like we sang just a moment ago that the Lord's coming soon and I want to be found faithful. Amen. I want to be one that's still in the fight. 
I want to be one that's still praying. I want to be one that's still faithful to the house of God. I don't want to give up now this close to the end. And because the tomb is empty, it should spring us into action to last until the end. But that's not the only demand that we see in this passage of Scripture. Look at verse number 4. It says, so they, that's Peter and John, ran both together. Number two, the demand of the empty tomb is identification with the brethren. Because the tomb is empty, we have something in common. Amen. We do. It says that they ran both together. They were going the same direction. Amen. You know why? The tomb was empty. Glory to God. I can come to Tower Hill, Illinois, out in the middle of nowhere, hallelujah, amen, to Knobs Baptist Church and find folks that are serious and are wanting the same thing I'm wanting, wanting to have a relationship with God, wanting to see souls saved, wanting to do things for the Lord. You know why I can find that here and we can have camaraderie one with another? The tomb's empty. Amen. Because the tomb's empty, we have something in common. We have unity, number one, in fellowship. We can have a good time and one with another because the tomb is empty. First John chapter number 1 and verse number 3 says this, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We can have fellowship one with another because the tomb is empty. Oh, the pastor and pastor's wife and my family got to sit down and have a little fellowship this afternoon around the lunch table. I am in the north so I can say lunch. It's dinner when you're down south and you get all that mixed up. Dinner and supper and I still can't get all that figured out when we go down south. Lunch around here is what it is. But anyways, we had some fellowship. You know why we were able to do that? The tomb's empty. Because Jesus alive we can run together we can have unity and fellowship we can have unity in the fight too as well the bible says this in philippians 2 25 listen to this yet i supposed it necessary to send to you epaphroditus my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants we can be joined in the fight for the Lord Jesus Christ because the tomb is empty. Oh, when a brother or sister is failing in the fight, when they're struggling, when they're having hard times, spiritually speaking, hallelujah to God, we can lift them up in prayer. Amen. We gather into the house of God and put our hand on their soul, shoulder and say, hey, I'm a praying for you. Anything I can do to help. I'm glad for a church family that you can rest on whenever you're going through a struggle or a trial in your life. Hey, you know why we can do that? The tomb's empty. Amen. We have something in common to be able to help each other in the fight. And then number three, identification with the brethren. We can have unity in flattery or worship. We can come together and worship together. That's what we're doing tonight. We came together and we sang the songs of Zion. Hallelujah. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. We need it. We can sing those type of songs. We can sing songs about the cross. We can sing songs about the Lord Jesus Christ. We can have flattery of the Lord. Worship together. The Bible says in, in Psalms 22, 
And verse number 22, I will declare thy name unto brethren in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee I'm glad that I can worship the Lord all by myself we'll talk about that in just a little bit I'm glad for times when it's just me and the Lord and we can have wonderful worship together but it's something about coming in the sanctuary it's something about coming in the house of God and when you brothers and sisters in Christ and we come together and we lift up the name of the Lord Jesus. Hey, Jesus still says in the Word of God, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. I like being able to lift up the name of the Savior. And we get to do that because the tomb's empty. We can run together because the tomb is empty. But that's not all. One more. We see here another demand of the empty tomb. The rest of verse number 4. Now it said, So they, Peter and John, ran both together. And the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. <laughs> now I'm going to go ahead and say, I identify with Peter more than John. Amen. John was just a little bit quicker <laughs> than what Peter was. See here, number three, what that tells me is that there was intensity in the way. They were giving it everything they had to get to the empty tomb. It just so happened that John was a little faster than what Peter was. But I don't doubt for a moment that Peter wasn't giving it his all to be able to get to the empty tomb. Hey, may I say? child of God, especially in these last days, we need some intensity in the way. May I put it this way? We need some seriousness when it comes to serving God. I'm all for having a good time. I tell you what, the only people that have a right to have a good time are children of God on the face of the earth. Hey, you know why? Because we don't have to worry about where eternity is going to land us. Amen. We know where we're going. Glory to God. We can have a good time, but there's a time when we need to get serious about serving God. Yes, the Bible says uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, verse number 25, and every man that striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. That means he keeps his body under self-control. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that eateth the air. The Apostle Paul said that there is seriousness. The Apostle Paul said that there is a reason why we are running this race. And may I say, child of God, that because John outran Peter, they both were giving it their all. We need to give it our all to the Lord too as well. Amen. The, the Bible says in Titus chapter number 2, listen to this, verse number, verse number 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared Aren't you glad that salvation's for everybody? Amen. Man, I could talk about that a minute, but I don't have time. i got to move on. Teaching us. What does it teach us? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We need to live seriously in this world. Because of the saving grace that Jesus gave unto us. 
I've had the privilege for several years, even whenever I pastored in Winfield, Missouri, before I went into full-time evangelism. There is a church that is about 35 minutes from my house and a preacher friend of mine that I met while I was the pastor at Mid-America Baptist Church in Winfield, Missouri. This particular man has been the pastor there at this church for several years. And he called me one day and he said, Brother Hart, would you be willing to on a Sunday morning and to have your family sing and you preach? He said, what we do is we have Sunday morning services, Sunday school, Sunday morning services, and then we have a, a dinner on the grounds and then a testimony time, and that is our services for the day. He said, would you be willing to come? I said, well, I would. I said, but because I am the pastor of a smaller church, i got to find somebody to fill my pulpit while I'm gone. And that's not easy to do whenever you preach, lead the singing, do everything, your wife plays the piano and all that kind of stuff. Well, I had about a week or two before that had had an evangelist call me that I knew of, that I saw preach at a meeting that said, said, Brother Hart, I may be coming through your area sometime and may give you a call if I couldn't stop in at your church if you could use me. I said, yeah, do that. Well, he called me. He's going to be coming in around that time when that preacher wanted me. So I called him back, Brother Miller, and I said, hey, can you come on such and such a day? He said, yes, I can. I said, great. I said, you come and preach all day for me. I said, I'll be gone Sunday morning, but I'll be back Sunday night. And you just preach all day, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and I'll go help this brother out 35 minutes down the road. He said that would be wonderful. So we went and did the anniversary service. By the way, we still are doing those anniversary services. Today, and um, love that church and getting to go do that um, even to this day. But we came back Sunday night, and he preached, did a wonderful job. Things were doing great. And, and at that time, uh, when we got done with the evening service, my... Uh, my wife and I um, usually took two cars to the church so I could go early. She could come in later with all these 42 hoodlums, I mean kids that we have. And, uh, and so after services, she got them loaded up in the car and took them back to the house to be able to get them some supper after Sunday night church. And I stayed around and helped the evangelist. He had a table with some books and things, help him get him down, give him his love offering. And it gave me a moment just to ask him a question or two. This particular evangelist at that time, has been on the road for over 40 years, traveling the country, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. So I asked him, I said, Preacher, you've been at this a long time. I said, i got to ask you a question. I said, tell me the difference between churches when you first started and what you're seeing in churches now. And without hesitation, he said, Preacher, he said, back when I first started, Christians were a lot more serious than what they are now. You know what, child of God? If there's ever a time we need to get serious, it's when we're getting closer to the Lord coming again. The Bible says, Not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together is the manner of the sum, sum is, and so much the more. As we see the day approaching. You know what that's saying? It's time to get serious. Peter and John had intensity in the way because the tomb was empty. It's about time we get serious about this thing of serving the Lord. So we see the demands of the empty tomb. But then number two tonight, I want you to see the delights of the empty tomb. Oh, this is the part we like. Now those demands, yeah, we know we need to be doing them. But we like the delights of the empty tomb. Look at the first one. Look at verse 5. 
And he stooping down in, that's John, and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and see if the linen clothes lie. Now hold on a second, before I move on, i got to say something about the last point. Peter may have got there last, but when he finally got there, he jumped in. Amen. John didn't jump in, but Peter, when he finally got there, he jumped in. I told you I identify with Peter a whole lot more than John. Amen. It may take me a while to get there, but when I get there, I'm going head first. Amen. Glory to God. But we see here that John and Peter looked in and saw that Jesus wasn't there. So number one tonight, the delights of the empty tomb is... Savior's not there. Amen. I'm glad the grave clothes are empty. I'm glad the grave is empty. Boy, you can go to any other religious group on the face of the earth and get their leader that has dead and gone on and go to their tomb and their grave. And you can dig up their grave and you'll find some bones. You'll at least find some DNA of them. But hallelujah, not our Savior. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. That's the delight of the empty tomb. That the Savior is not there. Glory to God. He is over death, hell, and the grave. Hallelujah to God. He is alive. That's not the only delight. Look at verse number 7. It says, and the napkin that was wrapped about his head. Not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. We see the soon return of the Lord is a delight of the empty tomb. Now hold on, time out. I'm going to let you in on something. I have grown up in church. Thank the Lord for it. I have went to youth camps. I've went to youth conferences. I've went to revival meetings. I've went to camp meetings. I've been to jubilees. I've been to missions conferences. I've been to vacation Bible schools. I've been to Sunday school. I've been, you name it, I've been to it. And I have heard a lot of preaching in my lifetime. And I like preaching. Man, I do. I love preaching. I love doing the preaching. I love hearing the preaching. I've heard a lot of preaching in my lifetime. I've heard a lot of good preaching in my lifetime. I've heard a lot of bad preaching in my lifetime too as well. <laughs> when you're around it a lot, that happens from time to time. And I have heard, Brother Miller, I'm going to tell you this, I've preached this. I have heard when I was a teenager in Sunday school that there is some Jewish tradition out there that when a Jewish master would be at the table and he would be eating. That if he wanted to let his Jewish servant know if he was done eating or not, he would take his napkin and if he was done, he would wad it up and throw it on his plate. But if he was not, he would fold his napkin and would put it on his plate to let the Jewish Jewish girl know he's not done he's a coming back again and I heard preachers get up and preach and hoop and holler and say the napkin a plate by itself folded so that means that Jesus Christ is not done 
He's a coming back again. And I've even got up and preached that before because I've heard a preacher say it. And I thought, that's great preaching. And I want to do great preaching. So I got up and I was, woo, the napkins folded. He's a coming back again. So when I was studying for this message, I thought, I'm going to look up where they got that from. I'm going to look up and try to find that Jewish tradition. We got the internet nowadays. You can find just about anything. And I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked and it ain't there. Told you. I've heard some bad preaching too as well. If it is out there, I don't know where it's at. So, I mean, if you find it, come show it to me, please. But there have been people that have written articles saying, makes for good preaching, but there isn't a Jewish tradition out there that anybody can find saying that that is true. They said probably some preacher made it up somewhere and sounded real good, so he ran with it, and other people ran with it too. You say, preacher, you just took the wind out of our sails. You just said that the light of the empty tomb is the soon return of the Lord, and then you just read verse about this napkin. Wait a minute. I don't need a folded napkin to know that Jesus is coming again. You know why? Because John 14 is still in the Bible. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go. I go. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Because he went, he's a coming back again. That's the delight of the empty tomb. Is that since Jesus left, he's preparing a place for me. May I just go ahead and say, I got the Lord Jesus as my interior decorator. Glory to God. Amen. You can have HGTV and the DIY network. I got the Son of God preparing a place for me. Amen. Woo, what a place it's going to be. We see the delight of the empty tomb, the soon return of the Lord. Look at the next one, verse number 8. Then went in also that other disciple. John finally decided he was going in. Amen. Took him a minute, but he finally got there. Which came first to the sepulcher. Watch it. And Saul and believed. Number three, the delight of the empty tomb is it solidifies my faith in eternity. Because Jesus walked out, I'm going to walk out alive. Because he was the first resurrection, I'm going to be resurrected. Hallelujah. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 verse 14 And if Christ be not risen then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. Verse 17 says And if Christ be not raised your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ we are of all men most miserable. But hallelujah, he did come out of the tomb. Amen. We don't have hope in Christ just in this life, but he's alive. So may I say, I'm going to live forever. Amen. Glory to God, because Jesus lives on high, I'm going to live on high. The cathedral quartet years ago used to sing us, I'm going to live forever. I'm going to die no never. Jesus died on the tree for me, so I'm going to live forever. It solidifies my faith in eternity because Jesus came out alive. But then 
What I want to get to is verse number 10. Because after Peter and John saw all of these things, saw the grave close, saw the stone rolled away, saw the tomb was empty. Look what it says in verse 10. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. They were satisfied. Sure, Brother Miller, they had questions in their mind. Of course, Jesus wasn't there. How'd this all happen? Did somebody come and steal him? Did he walk out? They didn't know at this point. But they had saw everything they wanted to see, and they went to the house. They were satisfied with what they saw. But number three tonight, not only the demand of the empty tomb, not only the delight of the empty tomb, I want you to see the disappointment of the empty tomb. Look at verse 11. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. They all left. Everybody went home except Mary. Mary stood, preacher, outside of the tomb weeping as if to say, No, this isn't why I came. No. This isn't why I got here this morning. No, this isn't what I expected. She wanted more. She didn't come to see all this stuff and to go home. She was disappointed at the empty tomb. Why? Well, I want you to see that she was disappointed by the grave clothes. She wasn't looking for some spiritual sign of a... She was looking for Him. She came that day to see Him. She didn't care about grave clothes. She didn't care about a stone. She wanted Him. Notice, not only was she disappointed by the grave clothes, but she was even disenchanted by angels. Look at verse 12. And seeth two angels in white, sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had laid. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. Do you understand what's happening here? She has two angels standing in front of her. And she don't care about the angels She's wanting to know where he's at. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm probably not this spiritual, all right? If I would have saw two angels standing there, I would have said, hey, wait a minute. Can you tell me what you just saw five minutes ago? I mean, these are two angels from another world. Amen. These are two angels just came from heaven. And I'd be like, can you give me some inside information? Amen. I, I'll be honest with you. I probably would have done that. I'd be like, can you tell me a few things of what's going on up there that you just saw a couple minutes ago? But not Mary. Mary wanted to know where he was. 
She didn't care about angels, Brother Miller. She didn't care about heavenly beings. She wanted the one that the heavens and the earth were made by. And she was disappointed by the empty tomb. Look what else. She even got so discombobulated of who, who she thought the gardener was. Look at verse 13. And they, oh, excuse me, 14. And when um, they, uh, and when they say, uh, let's see, well, well, let's see, verse number 14. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener. Saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus shows up, and she's so out of sorts, she's so discombobulated that she thinks he's the gardener. Do you see how in angst, do you see how in mourning, do you see, I mean, her soul is crying out. She came to see her Lord, and he wasn't there. And now she's all mixed up. She didn't want to talk to anybody else, but she wanted to see him. Oh, but it all changes in verse number 16. I like it. Because not only do we see the disappointment of the empty tomb, but may I say we see in verse 16 the deity that makes the empty tomb. Hey, can I say this before I read this? I don't serve an empty tomb or rejoice over an empty tomb because of some stone that was rolled away from it. I don't rejoice over an empty tomb because of the rocks that are there. I rejoice of the empty tomb because of the one that walked out of it. Amen. I've never been to Israel. I've never been to the Holy Land. I've never been to the place that they have designated as the garden tomb where Jesus was laid. Whether that's the one in or not, I know that's what they designated as. I've never seen it. But may I say I don't have to see it. Amen. I don't have to see it physically because I talked to the one today that came out of the empty tomb. Glory to God. Hallelujah. He's alive. Amen. Look at verse 16. Jesus saith unto her Mary. All of a sudden as soon as he says her name everything changes. It's almost as if Mary says oh I've heard that voice called my name before. I've heard those lips say that name before. And as soon as he said Mary, she said, I know who that is. Now look, he called her woman in verse number 15. But he called her Mary in verse number 16. In verse number 15, he, she didn't know who he was. But in verse 16... She knew who he was. Whenever he just said a generic term in verse 15, she said, I think he's the gardener. But when he said her name, she said, that's him. That's the one I came to see. Oh, what's the significance of him calling her name? Well, number one, it showed ownership. 
She said, that's the one I belong to. That's the one that I have been pledged my life unto. The Bible says in John chapter number 10 and verse number 3, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. I'm glad that the Lord knows my name. I'm glad that Jesus knows me. I'm not just a number to Him. I'm not just another person to Him. I'm one of His. And He is mine. Glory to God. When He speaks my name, it shows ownership. Amen. Hey, that's not all that it shows. Look at the rest of the verse. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto Him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. That also shows fellowship. She says, not only does he own me, not only do I belong to him, but I also follow him too. <laughs> That's my master. That's the one that I learn, learn after. The Bible says in John chapter number 10 and verse number 4, and when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him. For they know not the voice of strangers. May I ask you tonight, child of God, whose voice are you listening to? There's only one voice that we need to be listening to. Hey, there's a lot of voices in this world that you can listen to. Amen. <laughs> Fox News. CNN. Newsmax, the internet, Facebook, social media, uh, family members. There's a lot of voices you can listen to. Amen. But there's only one that we need to be listening to. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, when she heard him call her name, she said, that's the one I follow. That's my master. Not only did it show fellowship, but look at this. Number three, it showed relationship. Look, look at this. Verse number 17. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not. Now hold on, time out. I, when, 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 I, when I read things like this, I like to put myself in the story. Like I'm standing back watching it. All right? So my brain works different. Brother Miller did what some... Don't ask my wife about that. But my brain works different. And so when I, when I read this for the first time, or when I was studying this, I should say, not read it for the first time, but when I was studying this for, for this message, I asked, had to ask myself this question. Mary now knows who Jesus is. And the very first words out of Jesus' mouth are, don't touch me. Why did Jesus have to tell Mary not to touch him after she knew who he was. There's only one reason. Because once she knew it was him, she was going to reach for him. She was going to go after him. Amen. That's why she came. She wanted to feel that it was him. And that means to tell me that she had touched him before. She had felt his touch before. Hallelujah. 
Mary Magdalene was the one that had seven devils on the inside of her and God took them out of her and she started following the Lord. Hey, you read in the Bible, the Bible says that there were women that ministered unto them as they traveled around. A lot of times we like to think that when Jesus traveled around the countryside those three, three and a half years that it was a boy's dormitory going around everywhere. Thought it was just him and the disciples. But no, the Bible says that there was women that ministered unto them. I mean, probably helped them with some of those things. I mean, I'm not trying to sound derogatory, but somebody had to wash the clothes. Amen. I mean, and I'm probably sure Peter and John Fisherman didn't know how to do that. Probably not very well. Amen. So I, they helped. They helped any way they could. Listen, their lives had been changed by Jesus. And not only did the disciples follow, but there were some women that followed too. Mary was one of those women. That followed. And so she had probably, no, not probably, she had touched him before. She knew what it was to be touched of him. So as soon as Jesus revealed himself unto Mary, he said, don't touch me. Now, wait a minute. My brain got going a little bit more. Why couldn't she touch him? You say, well, preacher, that's the verse. He says, I haven't ascended unto my father yet. Okay. But a few verses later, here in a little bit, Jesus is going to show up in the upper room and everybody's going to be there other than Thomas. You know the story. And he's going to show up and everybody's going to go tell Thomas, you missed it. Jesus showed up tonight. He said, I don't believe it. I don't believe that he's alive. That's why we call him Doubting Thomas. Well, I don't believe that he's alive. He said, unless I touch the nail prints in his hand and put my hand in his side, I ain't going to believe that he's alive. Well, it was just a little while later that Thomas was in the room with the rest of them and Jesus showed up again. What did Jesus say to Thomas? Come here, Thomas. He said, put your hand in my side. He invited him to touch him, but not Mary. Couldn't touch him at this point. You know what that means? There's only one reason. Only one reason why she couldn't touch him right then. You say, preacher, is this how it happened? I don't know how it's happened. But i tell you what, I'm doing the preaching, so I'm going to say how I think it happened. And you, if you're doing the preaching later, you can say how you think it happened. This is just my opinion. I'll be honest with you. But listen to me. I do know that this happened. Because every drop of blood that Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary was collected and He brought it unto the Father because there in the heavenly places... There was an eternal mercy seat that was there that was a replica of the one that they had made in the tabernacle. And Jesus Christ was carrying that precious blood, was carrying the final blood, the last blood, unto the heavenly Father. And He was going to pour that on the eternal mercy seat of the Lord. And it was going to once and for all take care of all the... Sacrifices. Hallelujah. No more turtle doves had to be sacrificed. No more rams had to be sacrificed. No more goats. No more lambs. The final blood has been shed. Glory to God. He was carrying the turtle sinless blood of himself to heaven to dump it upon the mercy seat to say, Father, this is what you've been waiting for. 
This is the blood that you've been waiting for. Here it comes. I'm bringing it. And I don't know how it happened. I'm admitting that to you. I don't know how it happened. But as he was taking that up to that mercy seat to dump it for once again for all eternity. He looked down, preacher, and saw Peter and John running off to the house. But he saw Mary standing there and she was weeping her eyes out. And I don't know if this is exactly how it happened, but I like to think he looked up at the Father and said, Father, could you hold on just one minute? She ain't leaving unless I show up. She came to see me and he put the blood off to the side and put that wonderful, the most important task of all eternity on hold just to stand up, show up and say, Mary. You know what that means? <laughs> like the songwriter said, he loves me like I was his only child. Because even in the midst of the most important task in history of mankind. He took time. He took time for one of his children and showed up and called them by name. Hey, that's how important you and I are to him. That's how much he loves us. Is that he would take time, no matter what he's doing, to talk to you. And to talk to me. Hey, look at the differences. Peter and John had already showed up. And they undoubtedly had told what they saw. <laughs> Wasn't much. But they tried to tell what they saw. But look at verse 18. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. <laughs> Peter and John showed up and said, we saw the empty tomb. Mary showed up and said, I saw came out of the empty tomb. <laughs> the, Peter and John showed up and said, We heard that he may be alive. Look at, look at verse number 18. Said that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Mary said, I heard him talk to me. Glory to God. Look at the difference in seeing and hearing. I won't take you there. But Job chapter 42 and verse number 5. By the time Job got done with his great trial and had seen the Lord face to face and argued his cause before him and God put Job in his place, God put the three friends in his place, God put everybody in their place by the time Job got done at the end of Job. He said, this is what Job said, I have heard thee by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye seeth thee. There's a difference between just hearing and seeing. You say, preacher? You mean you see God? I'm not talking about physically. With the com completion of the Word of God, we don't see Him physically. Let me tell you something. There's been times I've been in the car all by myself. And I've been listening to some good godly music. I've been listening to some preaching. I've been praying and all of a sudden, he shows up. You know what I'm talking about. I imagine, you still ride your bike, preacher? Occasionally. I imagine there's been some times where he showed up on a bicycle too. 
There's been times when I've been all alone in the house by myself. Praying, trying to get God. All of a sudden, He shows up. I'm not talking about physically, but you just know He's there. You say, preacher, I don't know what you're talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then I'd go home tonight and put everybody else to bed, find you a place all by yourself and say, Lord, I ain't leaving until I know what that preacher's talking about tonight. And I guarantee you, he'll show up. And by the way, I'll give you a little bit of a clue. Once he shows up like that and you get a taste of him that way, you won't be satisfied with anything else. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord... Is good. Now, I'm going to say this and I'm done. I, I, I've taken too much time. You say, all right, preacher. How do I get to see the Lord like that? All right, three things and I'm done. Very quickly. Look at verse 1. Three things right here. Look at verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene. She came by herself. Now, listen, I know you can go to other passages of Scripture of this same story and there was other people there. There was other women that came. But by the time we get to verse number 11, Mary's the only one there. Everybody else had left, Brother Billy. But Mary stayed. Hey, if you're going to see him in this way and experience the Lord, you may have to do it by yourself. Other people may not understand, but you may have to be there all alone. Hey, hey may I say this? Peter and John missed him. By just a little bit. If they would have hung around just a little bit longer, they would have saw him too. Coming. Right, that's number one. I'm moving. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene. Look at the next word in your Bible. Early. She had to lose sleep to come to see the Lord. You know what she had to do? She had to deny her flesh something that it wanted to see the Lord. And you will have to deny your flesh in order to see God in that intimate way. And then lastly, it says, cometh Mary Magdalene early. Watch it. When it was yet dark. She came when it was inconvenient. Dark time ain't a convenient time to come. But she came anyways because she wanted to see Him. Child of God, when the empty tomb isn't enough, it's because we want the one that came out of the empty tomb, not just the tomb that is still sitting there today. You say, preacher, what are you trying to get through my thick head? Do you want the blessings more than the blesser? We want God to give us things, and he does. He daily loads us with benefits. But when's the last time you just got on your knees and didn't ask Him for anything, you just talked to Him? He's a person too. When's the last time you've just fostered the relationship with the Lord? When it's just you and Him. We get so busy and we push Him off to the side. Child of God, how about we recognize that our relationship with the Lord is the most important thing in our life. And we start putting priority on it. You go to a therapist. 
for relationships. And they're going to tell you, you need to work at your marriage and your relationship. Well, I'm here to tell you, you need to work at your relationship with the Lord. When the empty tomb isn't enough. Let's stand, please.